0: Betches Media presents He's in the Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage.
1: Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor.
0: Presented by the Betches Sup Podcast.
1: You better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down.
0: Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi,
1: that's what I've been doing my whole life.
0: And now, with this week's guest. Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded.
2: Your host,
3: Sammy Sage.
2: Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by The Betches Sup. Today's guest is Anne Helen Peterson, writer, cultural critic, and author of the book Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. We chatted about a wide array of topics, including post-pandemic work life, how digital life has robbed us of hanging out with our own brains, and the problematic beliefs of male diet culture. With that, let's get the tea from Anne Helen. Anne Helen, welcome back to the Betches Podcasts. How are you doing?
0: I'm amazing. I'm so happy to be here.
2: Me too. I love talking to you and our audience loved when you were on Diet Starts Tomorrow a few weeks ago. So I wanted to have you on here um, because I know the sub audience is really, you know, I feel like you are really perfect for them and you write about such so many interesting things different phenomena relating to capitalism, diet culture. I mean, I was actually just before this reading something you wrote about bachelor party, bachelorette parties in Nashville. So oh, your yeah. range is just like <laughs> it's phenomenal. Um so maybe just in case people, you know, didn't listen to the episode or are not familiar with your writing, which they, I feel like after this, they will all want to be. I guess maybe we just tell people kind of your background, how you came, you know, to do what you're doing. And yeah, just a quick intro.
0: Yeah, I have a totally weird story. Uh, I grew up in a small town in North Idaho And then I left to go to college. I was a nanny for a while, Uh, went to grad school and ended up focusing on the history of celebrity gossip. So my PhD in media studies from the University of Texas is focused on the history of celebrity gossip. (laughs) Uh, And then I was a professor for a while and then academia is not great. So I uh, transitioned from academia to to write full time for the internet, which I had been doing kind of part-time while I was a professor and I worked for BuzzFeed for six years and I lived in New York for most of that. But then about four years into that time, I somehow convinced BuzzFeed to let me move to Montana Um, and did that in 2017 and have lived here in Missoula ever since. In September of this past year, I decided to turn my Substack, which I had been doing as just kind of like a free weekend type thing into my full-time job. And now I do that full-time. It's called culture study. If you just Google my name and newsletter, it'll come up. And I write that twice a week and have a really great community there uh, of subscribers and people who are really dedicated to it. But then I also write books. So I've written three books. Uh, two about celebrity, one about burnout. And then the most recent book that I'm working on with my partner and was coming out in December is on the future of like remote hybrid type work. So basically what is it going to look like moving forward these next six months, next year?
2: Yeah, I honestly could not recommend your Substack more. Like it's like having a little treat.
0: (laughs) I try to make it that way. I try to make it something that like people actually like opening their inbox for right
2: yeah I really do <laughs> I loved um, something you wrote recently about I, I feel like the the headline with, that stuck with me was like do you remember when you when your thoughts were no longer young and yeah. that you were no longer <laughs> like on the cutting edge um.
0: <laughs> yeah I was interviewing um, one of my favorite journalists who is younger um, she's in her mid-20s. And I just I love her writing because it, <laughs> it reminds me that my thoughts are no y- longer young. Like I think a lot of millennials. This happens with every generation, right? But like we're yeah. we're getting to that age where we're like, oh, we're not the young people anymore. right it's
2: like it's sort of like no it's sort of like becoming like the washed up upperclassmen to the freshmen of (laughs) the world almost yeah
0: we're like the fifth or sixth years like the college you know Yeah,
2: (laughs) or even like just the seniors who are like just over it and and on their way out like half of them have graduated
0: (laughs) yep and have like a little bit of beer bloat and like kind of like struggle to get drunk anymore, right? Because like they've so normalized with the rhythms of writing at totally. college.
2: Yeah. Totally. So like, okay, so you were you were interviewing a younger writer who you're friends yeah. with. And I wonder so I was I was thinking about this in terms of like Gen Z, because I do spend quite a bit of time on TikTok. Yeah. And Same. it's sort of it's like you feel like the old person on this young platform sort of like when your parents joined Facebook, (laughs) like so many sad analogies, it's like really pathetic. Um, Yeah, so like, what do you you feel like, um, someone was saying to me, I feel like on, maybe it was the uh, the last episode of this, that like the millennials are sort of like the shafted generation. Mm -hmm. That we are like, not the most digitally native, but we, you know, we still have to deal with all of digital life. do you feel like we've sort of been, do you feel that way? Like that
0: millennials have been shafted? Like, So I think millennials have been economically screwed and there's a lot of data to back that up just in terms of like where we arrived post-financial crisis and a lot of the different shifts in the American economy that have happened in terms of like how much more expensive it is and prohibitive, cost prohibitive it is to have a kid, uh, buy a like. Have more than one car, or even a car. um, Own a home, have a retirement account, have any sort of savings account. Manage your <laughs> manage your yeah. healthcare. Like all of these things are much harder for us because of the ways that we, essentially, as a larger generation, were stunted by the recession and the very slow recovery. At the same time, as an elder millennial, and you're a peak millennial, right? You're like yeah, millennial. I'm, I'm like the, when people were writing about
2: millennials, now they don't write about us anymore. I feel like that I'm who they were writing about.
0: Yeah. So I am of the age where like some people in my age group, like don't even realize that they're millennials because they can identify with your age group as much. And sometimes people call that Xennials or organ trail generation, whatever. Um, but I was talking to Patricia Lockwood, who is an author and a very online person. And and she was saying that she thinks old millennials, like we actually had the we have the best digital experience because we knew what the internet used to be like. So we had like we have a very vivid memory of when email was amazing. I I, I actually have that memory too. Yeah. That
2: was yeah, it was um fun like it was exciting to get because all your shitty things came in the mail and your fun things came in the email and now it's like wedding invitations come in the mail Mm -hmm. and really awful things come like you never get like a great email like no one's ever emailing you that's like you know you are getting promoted and double your salary like like that's never coming through email like no one's ever going to be like you know i discovered you and want to, like, I don't know, like, offer yeah, you Yeah, now it comes through,
0: like, Facebook DM, Messenger maybe. or, like, DM or someone texts you, all those sorts of things. Right. Whereas it was a really rarefied occasion. And also, the other thing, too, is that because – Especially like when I was in college, we didn't have cell phones, which is very difficult for people to understand how you would navigate college without cell phones. But I would just say that it was amazing. Um, And we also didn't have Wi-Fi. Like people didn't, everyone had desktops, right? (laughs) Like you, that's where you did your typing and stuff. And so when you checked email, it was like, oh, between classes and then, like at night, right? Like you weren't in this constant barrage of emails. So the good emails would accumulate and it would be a nice experience. Um, And so we had, and also just the other interesting corners of the internet that I think a lot of older millennials, especially kind of people who are online now, were part of like weird chat rooms or, you know. (laughs) Um, So we have this memory of what it used to be like and a nostalgia for that. But also I think that sometimes makes us resent what digital life has become as well right? What do you think about like okay, so I
2: think you it's it's an obvious trope but like you know young people won't know how to communicate because they can't like make a phone call and they can't make small talk. Where do you where do you stand on that? Do you think that that is just not actually going to matter? Because I do feel sort of grateful that like I was taught social cues right. in the midst of like adults who had some sort of etiquette rules. Like not that I like like etiquette rules or anything, but right. it's more like okay, I understand there is like a certain way you can act or a certain way you can't, and that like you need to feel that out. And like I do feel like because I didn't have. A phone that i was like obsessively on until i was in college that i did learn sort of how to read facial expressions or (laughs) navigate like some of those more awkward things like an awkward silence or having to jive with someone who you don't like i feel (laughs) like i did get that education a
0: little bit do you think that's like gonna be a thing you know, I do think that younger generations have to figure out how to do that online, which is also awkward. But the thing I that Gen Zers have told me is more difficult is that they don't really know how to be bored. Right. Right. Like when they're when they're faced with a time away from their phone, they have not had like that experience is so foreign that it can feel incredibly uh, anxiety producing. Sometimes I think, you know, when people talk about meditation, how if you're trying to meditate for a long time, like some people have nervous breakdowns while they're trying to do that, like they just start crying. And part of it is that like your thoughts are really echoing around in your brain and you kind of have like an existential crisis of like, I'm a person in the world walking like this, you know, that kind of like galaxy brain stuff. And I think that if you have not had much experience with having to really entertain yourself and really like figure out what it's like to hang out with your own thoughts. That's hard, right. Right. Like yeah. I spent so much time being bored when I was a kid. Yeah. Just like summer, especially like somehow it was just like hours of boredom. Right.
2: And like, what do you think? Yeah. I, I was also very bored as a kid. Like <laughs> I was like, at one point I remember like my parents were like, don't say you're bored.
0: Like yeah, boring people are bored, as Betty yeah. Draper
2: would say on Mad
0: Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I forgot about that one. Yeah, and like,
2: I don't know what the hell I did. Like, mm-hmm. I also remember being very bored in school in a way that I'm not bored during work because I can always just scroll on my phone or text someone or go on another website. Like, yep. Whereas, like, I remember being in school. Specifically, like Hebrew school, Mm -hmm. and having a watch and like looking at the minutes pass, and like I remember, (laughs) I would go, I would go into the bathroom just to go into the bathroom, and yeah, like that was a thing you (laughs) did in school just so that you could get like a change. And I don't know if I have the like mental stamina anymore to to do that in a like in a situation where I'm where where it's unpleasant. Like like I could be off my phone. When I was just out west, I was like skiing a bunch. And I mm-hmm. honestly am too afraid to drop my phone off the lift. Yep. So I don't really check my phone for like a mm-hmm. few hours. Because
0: you have like those thick mitten hands. Yeah, so like, of course it's going to drop. Yes.
2: Right. I'm like, I'm just not going to risk it. I'm not going to take my phone out. So in that situation, when I'm like entertained, I can be off my phone for mm-hmm. a few hours. But like, I, I don't think I can barely make it through like a meeting without
0: like... So it's so interesting because I think... First of all, I had very similar experiences in terms of like, I just remember fourth grade being so boring that I would try to fake sick, even though I wasn't allowed to watch TV when I was sick. Like I just had to sit in my room with nothing. I would try to to fake sick because I was so bored. Um, and then also during the sermon at church, like so bored, just like, yeah, doodling on like the, the, um, the leaflet that they would hand out in the bulletin is what it's called in church. Yeah. And just like, and thinking that it lasted, the sermon lasted like 90 minutes. I'm sure it lasted 25. Right. Um, but I also think that our minds, because we we still have that capacity to go back to those times and those coping mechanisms. So something that happened with me, whenever I go to, uh, on a trip to a place where like you have to be in the car a long time. So I was recently yeah. in Southeast Asia, not recently pre pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Southeast <laughs> Last Asia week. and, and in Cambodia, Cambodia and Laos to get to a lot of places, you just have to like be in a van for six hours, seven hours. Right. And you can't, it's bumpy. So like, you can't read. Um, so what I would do is just listen to my, like listen to music on my headphones, I felt like I was in ninth grade again, like staring out the window and just listening to like, you know, whatever sad sax song that like the national on repeat. Right. And I loved it because my, my brain went to these memories that like I hadn't visited in a long time. You know, our brains, there's so many places that when we're so busy that we like our brains don't allow us to go there. It was so great. It's funny that you that you say that because yesterday
2: I was just um, I was in the town that I grew up in on Long Island because um, yeah. long story short, we I had to pick up a car whatever, um, and I was sitting like at a red out of my neighborhood there was this really long red light like it it must have been probably two minutes <laughs> but when I was a child like I called it the long light because like mm-hmm. it lasted. Forever. And like, I have, I had a vivid memory seeing like the long light of this, um like when I would feel like I was crawling out of my skin for the light to turn green. And I'm thinking, yep. I'm like, now I would just like text. Look at your phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But as you're, yeah. And as you're saying like the sermon thing, I'm like, I used to make up games with like myself. Yes. In my head. Like, yeah. And I wonder like where. Like, was there value in that? And like, are we now missing that value? And like, what are our... Because now I have no attention span. Mm -hmm. Forget bored. I'm not really bored, but I have no attention span. And it's like, I wonder, are our brains meant to be filled and satisfied all the time?
0: No, totally not. I think that our brains are really supposed to hang out with themselves a lot yeah. more than they are right like right now our brains whenever we have that inkling like that inkling of boredom it's like you're you have this mechanism that your phone could just open it I have this thing where I like open apps I'm like I didn't even want to open that app no. right yeah. like I didn't want to but my thumb just goes there and Instagram yes <laughs> it's Instagram and <laughs> I- nothing new is there nothing I'm yeah. like watching a Peloton instructor's story. Like you know what? It, there's nothing there, uh, but I think that you can retrain your brain, but it takes a lot of work to to stop that that automatic inclination. And mm-hmm. for me, a lot of it too. Um, is that those sorts of actions like that we do when we're bored, they're actually not restful, right? Like you can still be bored while you're looking at Instagram. And it's also not a form of like, you're not letting your brain recharge. You're not letting any of like the creativity juices go back up. Like you're a super Mario character or whatever. (laughs) And so um, one thing that I tried to do when I was trying to deal with, with my own burnout is try to think of all the spaces that I would fill with another voice (laughs) <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like I would listen to podcasts all the time. Yeah.
2: I do the same.
0: All the time. All like the when time. I was walking my dog, when I was um, blow drying my hair, like anything yeah. that I was doing, I was like, got to fill it with another like thought because yes. then I can like be multitasking and very culturally sophisticated that <laughs> like right. I'm listening to all of these podcasts all the time. And I just had to stop listening to as many podcasts. I just had to cut out a lot of them and force myself to hang out with my own brain.
2: Yeah, well what I've realized is that I also do the same like I I'm addicted to hearing voices and I'm addicted mm-hmm. to hearing them talk about like um not soothing things. Like I want to hear <laughs> them talk about tense, scary things. Like yeah. you know, and, and me and what is that actually doing for me? Like I'm not sure. Like it yeah. it's a coping mechanism but also causing stress. you're working on or i'm not sure if you maybe finished um working on your book about post pandemic work life yeah and you know i you know i feel like we've become i i love working at home i know a lot of people do too but it is also not for everybody and i guess i just would love to hear kind of like your take on what post pandemic work life will be like what the drawbacks will be um of long term spending, most of our times in our homes, at least for people who are working, you know, in an internet job on the, you know, in an office yeah. kind of thing.
0: I think the hardest thing for people to get their brains around right now is that what we've been doing for the last year is not at all what it's going to look like moving forward. Right? We have been working from home in isolation during a pandemic, and a lot of our like people have their kids are home. Their partner is also at home with them all the time. You can't go to a co-working space. You can't go to a coffee shop. You can't work with your friends. Like the ideal scenario is that whatever amount your office decides that you can work from home. So sometimes I think that that, that's going to be the future is like lots of different flex scenarios where it's like come to the office two days a week, right? And then the other three do what you want. And before the pandemic, when I was visit my friends in Seattle, we would all work from home together, right? Like my three uh-huh. best friends just at the kitchen table, like we were in college at the library, except we're working in our very different types of jobs. They would drop their kids off at daycare. So the kids weren't yeah. there. Someone would make lunch for everyone else, like a little like snack pack, like, you know, like smorgasbord for everyone. <laughs> and then around three or four, we'd go on a run wow. and then they'd go pick up their kids. Like, That's the ideal, right? You get to hang out with your friends while you're doing work. Um, And I think that if you can do that mix of doing the things, doing the parts of your work that really need collaboration and need in-person contact, like figure out how much there actually is. There's probably a lot less than you you think and have like workplaces are going to figure out how to facilitate that. And then the rest of the time is really about shaping work to your needs and your schedule instead of shaping your life around work's pretty arbitrary schedule of nine to six or whatever it is.
2: Right. Nine to six. It's like, okay, so you want the whole thing? You want all of it, (laughs) except dinner. All
0: of it. All of it is yours. Except dinner
2: and like getting ready for bed is what what (laughs) you're asking for.
0: When I lived in New York, so media time in New York, uh, official hours are, well, it's all time, but official hours are like 10 to six. But what that means if you're commuting in is okay, so you ha- if you get up early enough to exercise before Eight, work, yeah, yeah, like and get on the subway at nine, yeah, then you usually don't actually leave work until six thirty right six forty five get yeah. home sp- at, like let's say you have it like pick up even stop on at the little bodega on the way home to to get some like some small overpriced thing to eat yeah. You get home at eight, right? Like that right. is your day. That is yeah. your day.
2: Right. The whole thing is, it, it's kind of crazy when you like, now that we've like been home for a year thinking about it, and then mm-hmm. people would socialize after work, which is just oh. a, the craziest thing I've ever heard. But yeah. <laughs> so something you said about, you know, working with your friends in terms of like, like what do you think the pandemic has done for friendship? Um, yeah, I guess that's very open-ended, but. I feel like you probably have a good take.
0: So I I really think it depends on whether your friend group was on the same page about health decisions. Let's say they were. And Kyra. Yeah. Okay. So if they are, my friend group has never, I have not felt closer with my friend group for a long time. And I think a lot of that is that like, there is this need to have some sort of intimacy and this is even though, like, I don't live in the same place as my, my close friend group. Most mm-hmm. of them live, live in Seattle. Some live in Alaska and California. And But I still feel that intimacy because we are checking in on each other more. Like, the group thread is is constant. That And I think that, like, there is this care and attention to one another that had been lacking before. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, some people haven't had that experience, right? I think that they felt really distant. But I think that um, there are people who have felt a, a growing connection to their existing friends. But then I also think it's really, if you didn't have any close friends before, right? If you had moved to a new place and were just starting on that path to making friends, whew, it's been a yeah. lonely year.
2: Right. Unless, you know, maybe it, maybe you saw that you had something like really strong in common with one of those people you were like yeah. in transitional friendship
0: with. Totally some people though I, my like uh, a couple people that I'm close with have made pretty big decisions life decisions because they've just the pandemic has clarified oh this is the p- person that I want to be close to right whether yes. it's a, a partner or close friends like you want to be as, in proximity to those close friends or family
2: right right so yeah no it's totally true what do you think about like our generation? And even gen Z when it comes to friendship, because of how like digitally connected we are, I feel like it sort of also ties into you know, the time and the money um because our time is so capitalized. I think about like this might be unique, but my my mother and my grandfather, my grandparents both had friends since they were like really young. yeah, I also happen to be in that position because I also run a business with my friends, right. but then you read all about you know how it's like kind of people are more lonely than ever. People have fewer friends, especially men. Um, and I, I, we can we can go there next. Um, so how do you think that like this is really kind of like played out for people? Do you think that like the the digitization has harmed people's ability to kind of connect?
0: Um, or yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's digital. I think for many millennials it's that we are working all the time (laughs) and that our jobs have really eaten up the rest of our personalities. And that includes like whatever is left of ourselves to invest in those friendships. And I think that (sighs) it's like, there was just a a piece out today in the Atlantic. That's about like, Oh, if you let people work from home all the time, then they're going to be so lonely because they need to have friends at work. And I'm like, I, it's great to be friendly with the people that you work with or to start a business with your friends, but I don't need to have, I don't need to be best friends with everyone that I work with if I have actual friends. Right. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
2: I think that's what goes unsaid in a lot of things. And I think especially for people, like if you move to a city, you've never, you don't know anyone, you're mm-hmm. at work with them. Like that's your friends. Like those are going to yep. be your close friends.
0: Yep. But, and also we don't have like those. So part of the book looks at the fact that like in the 20th century, for most of the 20th century, there are all of these different groups, like groups related to religion, but also just like social groups. So things like the Elks Club the or Rotary the Grange Club, or <laughs> the Rotary, the Eagles, like so, so many different animals. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and they were in rural places, in urban places. They were related to religion and race and gender and all sorts of things, but they were ways that we like hung out with people. They were how you found a support network for like, if someone got sick, like that's why you had 30 people who came and brought you casseroles is right. because you had 30 people in this group who might not have been your best friend, but were connected to you and part of this larger safety net around you. And those groups began to decline as we began to like our, you can look at the graph, right? And see like, oh, the number of hours that Americans have to work in order to keep their jobs or to make ends meet goes up and those membership in those groups declines, right? Right. So we just do not have that same sort of social cohesion as we did before. We -hmm. don't have like a place, like there used to be what our parents were growing up. If you moved to a new town, there would be some version of what's called a newcomers club and that's how you would meet people yes yes almost every town i i think about my um
2: my husband's family they're orthodox jews and they mm-hmm. still have like a version of this like yes. where if someone gets pregnant and or someone has a baby like the the community provides them meals for the next like my my sister-in-law broke her ankle and like people brought them meals like yeah who, no one would bring me a meal. Like, I don't even, there's not, like, even my close friends, like, they live across town. They're not going to bring me a
0: meal. <laughs> there's some version of this that emerges when someone has a baby. You have, yeah. like, meal trains and that yeah, sort meal of thing. Trains. And then I think that actually during the pandemic, The mutual aid networks that have risen up in various places have started to try to like say, yeah, we need each other, right? Like we are bound to one another as humans who live in society together. And the fact that we've pretended otherwise for the last 40 years is a real anomaly and everyone's pretty miserable about it. So what if we actually change that? The only way to do it, and this is kind of the argument of the book is to stop making work like the primary source of identity and the primary thing that you orient everything else around. And that doesn't mean that like you necessarily go part-time or that you're worse at your job. It just means that like when you're working, you're actually working really efficiently. Right. And not just like, like what I find myself doing all the time is like, oh, I'm just scrolling the internet for four hours and now I'm spending an hour writing the thing that I actually need to be spending
1: Yeah. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
2: But how do you, how does that work when like, I mean, you obviously have a very established career and you, you're now able to be independent on your own, so you're accountable to yourself, but- You know, what about, like, how do you get employers? I mean, I I am an employer, but I do feel like I'm sort of, like, on this page. How do you get, like, the more traditional employers on board for something like that when, like, someone else can just get a raise and a promotion? And you need that because you have to care for a kid that you just had. Right. You know, how does – everything is so unaffordable that it gives – businesses essentially like on un- not unlimited leverage but a lot of leverage and it essentially gives puts no limit on what can be taken from like a person's life and totally. time like
0: the extractive value yeah so one thing that i think more and more employers are seeing is that there is a limit to productivity gains of working all the time
2: mm-hmm. totally right.
0: So like right now, the number of hours that people have worked or, over the course of the pandemic has gone up, right? Like we are working more because work has, has trickled out into like, I roll over and I start working and then I, you know, work until dinner and then I right. roll over and work some more. And you
2: also feel guilty because it's like, where am I? No, like, yeah. I'm what in else? the living room. I was in yeah. the kitchen. <laughs> like <yeah.
0: laughs> Exactly. And, uh, you know, like, that's a whole nother conversation about the very real ways that we have to curtail that right. Totally. But like there, there's been a, a number of different articles as well that are sounding the alarm about the extent of the burnt out workforce, right? Like productivity levels are going down just because hours are remaining steady over the last five plus years, our productivity has actually like either declined or stayed steady, right? So we're working more hours, but we're not doing better work or more efficient work. So some companies that are smart about this are like, oh, if I can figure out a way for my employers, employees to do less work, but better work, we can, let's figure that out. And so some companies are like, let's do a four day week, not four, 10 hours, right? Four, eight hour days. And then with the promise of that extra day off, like it's this exchange of, okay, during those four days, we're going to work really intensely and smartly. Right. And then you have that other day off to recharge, to like do whatever you want. And you actually come back and do better work that next week. But you have to have this very forward thinking, like you have to be able to imagine that, and I think so many employers are like, of course, the more someone works, the better they work. That is the perfect employee is a robot who works 24 hours a day. And it's just not the case.
2: <sighs> Definitely. <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah, it's, uh, you're totally hitting it on the head. <laughs> okay, I just want to go in one more direction before we do our final segment. Yeah. Um. So we sort of touched on men in the friendship conversation. Yeah. Um. And something you wrote about that I think kind of ties in in an emotional way. Um, you wrote about men and diet culture and how mm. um, it's really gotten very bad during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like it all sort of stems from this inability for men to connect on any level of like real vulnerability, mm. which both inhibits relationships and um, prevents them from really being able to like examine or even like touch on some of the maybe more problematic beliefs that it, in the male culture of like dieting and body image. So, right. I wonder if you could just kind of like take us through like what you were saying there and like mm-hmm. how maybe this could be somewhat um tackled in maybe like a hopefully softer post-pandemic
0: world. Yeah, gosh. Well, I think it's I think it's improving a little bit with our generation, like the more the more men go to therapy, the, the I think the more language, vocabulary that that men and women have to, to grapple with some of these things. And I think that the, the problem, especially with diet culture and with body image, is that it has just been such a feminized component of our society. It's like only women care about what they look like, which is such a lie, right? But it is a lie that is pervasive. And so when and if you talk about it as a man, that becomes like a feminized thing, right? And things that are feminized coming from men are oftentimes viewed as as weak or as somehow um, overly vulnerable instead of what they actually are, which is like, admitting that men too are subject to like the impossible ideologies that we have about what bodies should look like. And I actually think like there, you know, there is a very narrow understanding of what a woman's body should ideally look like in American society, but there's a really narrow understanding of what a man's body can look like too. Um, It's just slightly, slightly expanded. Um, And especially it, it depends too, like whether you're you're straight or gay, like there are different understandings that accompany that as well. Um, and I think that the people that I have interviewed who are experts in food culture and in diet culture, they've done a lot of reporting that is pretty sad about like how alone a lot of men feel who are struggling with these things because there isn't a shared vocabulary. There isn't a way to talk about it. You know, I think that like women, sometimes the way that we have these conversations can be really toxic. But at least there's a conversation <laughs> happening. Right. Um, whereas I think that that a lot of men feel very like it's not something that you could ever talk to someone about, um, or even admit that it's a problem.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it it's one of those symptoms of like. You know a very common problem that shows up with the male friendship which you could argue shows up with some of the violent aggression um Mm -hmm. that we see from men in society and i think a lot of it kind of goes to the fact that like men are not really allowed to connect on um deeper things and so they connect on going to the gym and who can go harder and kind of couch it in this like language of You know life hacks as you know was Mm -hmm. in was in that article um yeah Yeah. i think a lot of these problems have kind of the same root cause um Mm -hmm. or a a tangential one
0: yeah and i think that well the thing that i always think about with men who have struggled with friendships during the pandemic is it's such a symptom this is speaking very broadly and very generally (laughs) but most men that i know are not very good at making plans Right. Yeah. And to do something during the pandemic, yeah. you have to be able to make detailed plans. Right. Like you have to like really yeah. set, like be like, okay, and especially if you're gonna hang out like in any way together or something. So like I have to isolate for 14 days and like how's that gonna work and that sort of thing, or like who's gonna set up their backyard and make sure there's a heating apparatus and all that sort of thing? Like Yeah. Some men are good at that, and some men are very, very bad at it. And I have seen a lot of male friendships atrophy during this time. And I wonder how that's going to be repaired.
2: Well, planning is on some level, level a vulnerable thing to do. Yes. Because you yes. are saying, I care yes. enough to make this – like, I, I care. I care to put this effort in to something yeah. that is not like, you know, I don't know.
0: And, you know, yeah. caring, caring. – <laughs> I was going to say a bad word, but like that's something, caring is something that we, I think we, we do associate, like we feminize that. So like, yes. oh, like you care enough to do this sort of thing, right? Right, right. Which, yeah. I care enough that I want to hang out with you, that I'm going to make plans. Like, right. Like right. I care
2: about, I care what else is there in this world. <laughs> like what What do you want me to do? Like not care? Ever? Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homeshef.com slash feverdream. That's homeshef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
3: Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly.
2: But I think this is a good part to move on to our final segment. Something I do with every guest is I ask four questions, they're the okay. same. It's really just like get to know, yeah, you know, who who we're talking to. Okay, okay. so one, what is your happiest memory?
0: So I, I will choose one that is, since we are talking a little bit about this, is I lived uh, in my college town the summer between my junior and senior year with a bunch of my friends and like most of the college wasn't there and we didn't really have internet and we just like worked our part-time jobs and like ate burritos and hung (laughs) out, you know, just like without, without the pressures of adulthood quite there yet.
2: I can, uh, I can totally relate to like (laughs) that time being the best. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. It really was. Oh, the lack of extreme pressures. Um, yeah. Okay, next question. If you could go on vacation with any two people, who would they be? They could be dead or alive. Um, who would they be and where would you go? Oh, my gosh. So, like, you're a trio on vacation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is so hard because, like, I think it would be – like, wouldn't it be fun to go on vacation with, like, Brittany in 1999? yeah that could be your like, answer if you want yeah. it yeah. <laughs> but like maybe it wouldn't be fun because the paparazzi would yeah. be there all the time this is you could go to a secluded island so you can go anywhere okay, what if i could go to a secluded island with jennifer aniston and angelina jolie and they oh. would like both tell me all about brad pitt but also like all about that the truth behind all of the gossip stories does that work
2: yeah, I mean that's maybe my favorite answer because most people choose like their idols or like a, or like their family friend like a, a no. family member. No. Um, but no, that is an amazing answer, and I'm like kind of with you on that. Um, <laughs> you never got that chance. Although no. you know you know a good one: Meghan Markle and Kate Middleton.
0: Yes. Yes. That'll well, and good. here's the thing. Part of the reason I was thinking about Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston is there's a great article that just came out in Vogue about how there is this pressure to like, you can only be one team. Yes. Especially Even with it's it. Actually, the dudes that are making all like all of these problems um, right. and how that creates the scenario of like women, like women have to always be solitary instead of in solidarity with one another.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we have seen that that movie before.
0: Yeah. <laughs> totally. I'm
2: going to read that after this. Yeah. Um, okay, third question. What are you terrible at and cannot be trusted with?
0: <laughs> uh, I am terrible at directions. I think I'm very good at like sense memory. Like I always know where yeah. my car is. But <laughs> until I was quite old, I thought that whatever direction I was was north. Like facing, <laughs> that's like if so I'm facing funny. you, that's north. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is really funny.
2: <laughs> uh, I also like don't really know the difference between left and right. Like I can Like it really takes me a minute. So
0: I'm, I'm left-handed, you. so I think that that really helps. So, yeah. yeah,
2: that's a good one. Okay, last question. Um, if you could solve any one of the world's problems, like what would you pick?
0: Oh man, I would get rid of capitalism. Is that too big? No,
2: that is like the <laughs> size we're looking for in this question.
0: Because okay, so if you no get if you get rid of like extractive capitalism, you solve a whole lot of problems.
2: Right. So what are what are we doing in the in the post capitalism world?
0: We're just like living together with one another and caring about one another. We're caring. C- yeah. Consider the commune. I read that
2: piece of yours. Yeah. Okay, like I'm really yeah. a huge fan of your work, as you can tell.
0: All right. <laughs> that This has been the
2: interview. Um, everyone go subscribe to Culture Study. It is such an interesting newsletter. And it's always like a little bit different every time, which I love about it because it's not like – it could be anything. It's like opening yeah, a box with it a could, surprise. It could
0: really be anything. It's like a Kinder <laughs> toy. Do you ever have that before? Yes, totally. Yeah,
2: it is. Yeah. yeah. So check that out. The Culture Study newsletter. Um, where else can people follow or you can free find me buy? on Twitter.
0: Um, and I have a and my Instagram Anne Helen Peterson is mostly my my gorgeous dogs. So you can find me there.
2: Well, I'm sure some people will want to follow that. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome episode. And thank you for listening to the Afternoon Tea. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at betches.com.
2: batches